Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This is Abdul Nasser Jengda, and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. The Qalam Podcast has become an important part of people's lives all around the world. There are millions of people benefiting from the podcast every single day. Thousands of hours of content, dozens of different series from all the different teachers and scholars here at Qalam. All of this is delivered to the community free of charge. We are excited and actively working to grow and increase our efforts to deliver more and more benefit to the community. We ask you to support our efforts and become part of the Qalam family. Please go to qalamfamily.com and sign up to contribute to this Sadaqa Jariyah on a monthly basis. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us Jazakumullahu khairan wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Yeah, very good, exactly. And if they if they don't do good, they'll be punished. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins by telling Dhul Qarnain that you can decide with these people, and the tafsir says that the first group were people of, they were not righteous. They were not known to be like a good group of people. So he comes upon this first group of people, and they weren't the best of people. And Allah tells him, you know, you have the power, you have the wealth, you're in the position of authority here. You can punish them if you'd like, or you can reward them, whatever you like, your decision. And Dhul Qarnayn, in that moment, instead of being the one who decides, okay, you know what, I'm just going to, let's make this easy and just get, get it over with, punish everybody, guilt by association, right? In moments of power, especially when you're not going to be held accountable, remember this, when no one's going to check you, then it's easy for you to take the easy way. You don't, you, you don't necessarily do all the right things. When no one's going to check you, you take shortcuts, right? You cut corners. You, you might not read through everybody's... It's actually really interesting, subhanAllah. That what's reminding me of this is when we go to Palestine, may Allah ta'ala, it was such a large group of people that when we, before we get out, right? When you tell them, why are you here? You say, I'm here to visit Masjid Aqsa. They say, go in that room. They might as well just call it the Muslim room, right? Because there's really only one group of people in there. And so you go in that room and they collect all your passports. And again, if you have like, we're flying with like 60, 70, 80 people on one flight. So they have all these passports. And the first passport, the second one, they're doing like background checks, intense background checks. They're looking up everything. You know, they pulled me out. They're like, why did you convert? Didn't you upset your family? And I was like, even you guys? You guys are supposed to have all the secret information. You know, I've said this in like every third lecture I mentioned this. Right? I'm like, I didn't convert. My dad did. They're like, oh. Why did he convert? I'm like, I don't know, ask him. Like, I'm not, I wasn't his agent, right? When he converted, I wasn't even alive, right? Basic biology. So anyways, they're very, very intense about their interrogation. And then, like, when things start to, you know, get long-winded and they have 79 more people to go through, 79 more passports, you know what they do? They kind of just skim through everybody and let them go. Because when you're in a position of power, like, nobody's going to come and verify. Nobody's going to come and check you. When you're the one that's under someone else's authority, you're worried about being audited. You're worried about being checked. So Allah has given Dhul Qarnayn in this situation power. And He's saying, your decision goes. And Dhul Qarnayn, to make his life easy, could have just looked at this group of people and could have judged all of them together and said, you know what? You don't look too good. You don't look too righteous. All of you get punished. But instead of doing that, instead of letting his power get to him, what does Dhul Qarnayn do? Luqranin says back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, مَنْ ظَلَمَ فَسَوْفَ نُعَذِّبُهُ Whoever commits dhulm, whoever oppresses, then they're going to be punished. 
and thumma yuraddu ila rabbihi but they will ultimately have to go back to their lord nukra and they're going to have to deal with that punishment like my punishment i'm not going to get uh, uh, drunk off of the power of consequences for people because ultimately my consequence is nothing compared to Allah's consequence and then he says whoever does good believes and does some good deeds then they will be given a good reward and they will be made their affairs, their situation, their, their life will be made easy so number one Dhul-Qarnayn, he establishes the principle of integrity, of justice. He doesn't make these blanket decisions just because it's easier. He takes his time and he says back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he responds back to this offer that I'm not just going to blanket punish. He then goes to the second group and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he goes up to the second group, uh, Allah describes them and he says that, that these are people that when it comes to the environment, the elements around them, Allah had not given them very much in terms of their cover, in terms of their clothing. And they didn't have houses. So these were not people who were living in luxury. These were not people who were living in prosperity. They were living, they were the working class folk, right? Salt of the earth type people. And it, when he pulls up to this group, Allah Ta'ala just simply says in the next verse, كذلك. This is how they were. وَقَدْ أَحَطْنَ بِمَا لَدَيْهِ خُبْرًا And we had full knowledge of him, of the Qarnayn in that moment. Because what becomes very tempting when you're powerful and you come across people who need help is exploitation. And the Qarnayn in this situation is very, uh, it's, it's, it's more than opportune for him to take advantage of people who have nothing. He has everything, they have nothing. He can exploit them and they, they will be none the wiser. And Allah tells us and tells him and reminds everyone reading this that if you are ever in a position of leverage over someone and you utilize that leverage in a way that is abusive, that is oppressive, that makes, the, that, makes that person's situation and circumstance part of your power, your toolkit, then Allah Ta'ala says, don't worry, he knows exactly what you're doing. You might be able to get away with it. You might be able to convince everyone around you, even convince yourself that, you know what? Maybe it's better that I, I, I pay them, you know, I pay them even a little bit, but if they didn't have me, they would get nothing, right? Person asked for $10 to cut your grass. You say five, take it or leave it. Even though you could probably afford 20. And then they, they, they just kind of like humbly lower their head and say, fine, five, I'll do it. I have to feed my family. And as they're mowing, as you see them mowing the lawn, Right? It's, it's a, a 100 degrees outside. You look out your window. You're sitting inside drinking cold water. You look at them and you say, for a minute, your heart says, what are you doing? And then what? The guilt, you respond to it with, you try to logic with it. No, no, no. It's fine. You know, they should just learn how to take more clients, build a business model, get, get more employees, blah, 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 blah. Right? This is the, the middle class advisor starts coming out. And subhanAllah, you start to justify these exploitative decisions. And then you say things like, may Allah Ta'ala protect us. You say, well, at least I'm giving them something. Right? It's better than nothing. No. Right? Muslims do not exploit. We do not do that. Whether it's socially, financially, emotionally, we do not take advantage of leverage over people. That is a form of abuse that Allah Ta'ala has told us not to engage in. 
Think of the Prophet ﷺ, guys. The Prophet ﷺ, if there was anyone who had an opportunity to build himself an empire, to take advantage of what dedication people had to him, do you guys understand? He would make wudu, and the water that was dripping off of his arms, people would die for the drops. Like the amount of devotion that people had to him. You know the famous story when the Prophet ﷺ, before the Battle of Badr, when they're being told that Quraysh is coming, there's an ambush, it's going to be, you know, at the time the numbers were 1,000 plus versus 80, because there was only 83 people from Mecca. And the Medina, the Ansar, did not have to fight in this battle. The Prophet ﷺ, he goes to them and he tells the leader of the Ansar, Sa'ad bin Mu'ad and others, he says, if you guys want to join us, we would appreciate it. But you don't have to, because our agreement for the Hijra was that whatever drama, whatever... A conflict is before the hijra. You don't have to t- take it as your own. And Sa'ad bin Mu'az says, Ya Rasulullah, if you were to walk into the ocean and we saw your body just fall, we would follow you. Like, you don't have to ask us twice. Right? The Prophet ﷺ, he didn't command him. He didn't twist his arm. He actually said to him, if you want to. You don't have to. Right? So you're looking at a person who had every opportunity to take advantage of people that loved him, that would have given him everything. And what did they say about his mattress? When he woke up, he had the indentations of straw mats on his side. Almost one day he saw, they started crying. He started crying when he saw the Prophet Sallallahu skin. He saw the indentations. You guys know, like, maybe you don't understand what this means. You guys ever taken like a really ugly nap before? and the pillow wrinkle under your face, and you wake up, and it just looks like you have lines. So imagine this was the daily life of the Prophet ﷺ. No cushion, no stuffed feathers, no, nothing. He, he used to sleep on a straw mat. And he would wake up, and there would be indentations on his side, and he would just get up and go about his day. So Umar, one day, he saw, they started crying. He said, Ya Rasulullah, how, how is this fair? How is it fair that you're the messenger of God, and you have to sleep in this situation? Like, this is your living style. And the kings and all the royalty and all the leaders of all these countries, they get to, get to have all kinds of luxuries. And the Prophet ﷺ basically responded by saying, would you rather have it here or there? Where would you, want, where would you rather have it? Right? This man, Salam, never exploited anybody. Right? The minute that you feel like the favor is shifting in your direction, that you can do something that you know is not just, you know is not right, but you know the person is desperate. Remember this verse. Allah is well aware exactly of what little movements your heart is making. Imam al-Ghazali, he said, the heart has movements. Do you guys know what that feels like? The heart has actions. You can act totally like poker face, straight, like absolutely no emotion on the face, but your heart is like pumping inside because you're figuring things out. Remember that Allah Ta'ala is well aware of these things. That's why, what is the description, subhanAllah of Allah? He says what? وَنَحْنُ أَقْرَبُ إِلَيْهِ مِنْ حَبْلِ الْوَرِيدِ Allah reminds us, He says, don't worry, I'm closer to everybody than their juggler vein. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to be upright, inshaAllah. Okay, now we have the last group. This is a really interesting section because it references a couple things that we're going to talk about. ثُمَّ أَتْبَعَ سَبَبَ Ayah number 92. Okay, so Allah says 
that Lulchanin comes now and he gets to a third group. And this group, Allah describes them, he says, They were between two mountains. They were people who were between two mountains, which typically means what? Why would people be between two mountains? It's a valley, but why? Protection. Protection, yeah. So they were trying to find, if you have mountains, you don't need an army, right? Because people can't really go through mountains. They have to go around them. So if there's two mountains and there's only one way in, there's like one road in, you don't really need an army of thousands of people. You just need a gate, right? Or like a couple good archers or something, right? So these people were in a position where they were trying to find protection. But then Allah describes them and He says, that they were not able to understand the Qur'an. Like literally it translates to they could not understand what he was saying. They couldn't understand what he was saying. So the question naturally arises, like when can you not understand what somebody's saying? When you speak a different language. Okay, number one, very good. When you speak a different language. So you go somewhere, you visit, you're like, I can figure this out. And you go and you're like, I cannot figure this out. Thank God for whoever invented Google Translate. May Allah guide them to Islam. <laughs> so I can host them for Eid and thank them, right? So that's number one. But that's not the situation here. When else can you not understand somebody? Okay, maybe uh, they were speaking at a level that was too complex. Okay, good. That's another situation. Like if you're talking to a child. You know, Musa asked me these questions. And he's like, Baba, what's this? And I have to figure out how to translate it to the brain of a five-year-old or a six-year-old. Right? He asks these really incredible questions sometimes. Probably I'm dumbfounded. That also is not the situation here. We'll talk about what it is. What else? Yeah. Maybe like cultural differences in terms of like if you're, if you're trying to describe something and someone else interprets it like a different way. Okay, very good. If you're trying to describe something and someone else interprets it a different way, maybe there's cultural differences. I actually have a really funny story about this. My friend's mom, uh, you know, when we were at his house growing up, uh, my friend would casually use the phrase, you guys, when he's talking about plural, right? You know, you guys, Anton, right? And she found that incredibly disrespectful. She was like, don't ever say that, you guys. We're just guys to you, right? Because obviously, I think in, in Urdu, it's like, ah, versus tum, right? So she interpreted, yeah, hey, you impressed? All right, so <laughs> she interpreted, she interpreted you guys as tum, not ah, right? As the common, not the respectful. So you know what she said? Listen, this is so funny. You ready for this? She said, don't say you guys, say you people. We're like, that's worse. <laughs> We're like, that is objectively worse. Like, 10 out of 10 doctors do recommend not to say you people to any group of, or like, you know what I mean? She's like, say you people. It's like, no, don't ever say that, okay? Don't ever walk in a group and say you people. Are you hungry, you people, right? What do you <laughs> but it shows you, right, there's cultural differences. Like, she thought that that was completely respectful. She thought that you people was up, like, you know what I mean? But she interpreted it incorrectly because in America, you people, right? What do you mean, you people, right? In the wrong parts of different places, that could be a problem. Okay, so that's another way that people don't understand each other. That we're getting a little bit closer now. We're getting a little bit closer, okay? When do people also not understand each other? When you don't believe in them. Okay, when you don't believe in them, yeah, like they're not listening, okay? Now we're getting closer. It's not that they didn't believe. But they were having trouble listening. Why? Yes. Okay. You maybe just don't even think that they're worth your time. That's another way. That wasn't this scenario. Yes. Okay. So maybe you're like living a different life or a different world. Okay. Has anyone here ever been through like a really traumatic event? 
I don't mean to bring up any, you know, I apologize. I forget. Okay. Anyone here ever been through something really difficult? Okay. Immediately after it, or as it's happening or after it's happening, like, are you able to listen and focus? Okay. So when a person is in a state of like fight or flight, okay, when, they're, when their anxiety is heightened, when they are worried, one of the things that leaves us is our ability to concentrate, to focus, because our body starts to think about ways to survive. And one of the ways that we survive is by not wasting time listening to someone's analysis, right? So sometimes it's just a matter of doing. That's the scenario here. So what's the next verse tell us? The next verse, So they can speak the language because they're talking to him. They said, Oh, the Qarnain, thank God you're here. There is a tribe of people, of, of creation, known as Yajuj and Majuj. English translation, Gog and Magog. Okay? By the way, this is also why it's really important to know, to read the Quran and to understand, you know, basic Quranic uh, uh, vocabulary. Because a lot of people pick different names for their children just randomly throughout the Quran. <laughs> And these are two of the names you do not want to pick. Okay, yeah, Jujma Juj, they are people, but don't pick these to name your kids. You think I'm joking, I know people, okay, if, if this is you, please, I love you so much, but just don't raise your hand. One of my wife's relatives, her name is Qariya. Qariya is one of the names in the Quran for the Day of Judgment. It literally means a calamity. So I'm like, how do you expect her to act? Her parents are like, she's so difficult. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> You know, like maybe we should change that name. Okay, maybe it's, I'm like, maybe it should be Qari'ah, like reciter, right? I don't think that's what they thought. Okay, so, it is, maybe. Uh, it might have just been like, close the eyes, you know, thing. So, I'm still waiting for Iblis to show up tomorrow with this. Hi, I'm Iblis. Uh, okay, so let's just, let's just be careful, right? So, yeah, Juj and Juj, these are not, these are not good people, okay? These are people. Now, what are they like? What are the descriptions? All the different descriptions that we have from the Hadith uh, literature about Yajuj and Majuj are very vague. Okay, so let me give you an understanding of who they are and where they belong in our understanding of Islam. As, if anyone here comes on Wednesday nights, Sheikh Mikhail Khalika, you'll know that as time goes on and as we approach the end of times, okay, may Allah Ta'ala give us good endings. As we approach the end of times, Allah has given us signs. Okay, there are signs. There are minor signs and there are major signs leading up to the Day of Judgment. Okay? Now, a lot of those minor signs are the ones that you'll see on TikTok. People are all like, believe it or not, it's happening, right? And, and it's true. A lot of the minor signs have already occurred. Okay? One of them is that, uh, <laughs> uh, like, basically, Bedouin shepherds will be competing to build tall buildings in the Hijaz area. So those of you who went to the Burj Dubai, right? Wanted to feel like being on a Day of Judgment sign, right? <laughs> Again, it's not that you're guilty for looking at it, but it's just one of those signs, okay? There's a lot. There's a lot of signs. I don't want it. That's not my class. That's Sheikh Mikhail's class, okay? The major signs are even more, are even more, what's the word? The minor signs are almost like day to day you can still function. Like they happen, but they're not stopping existence as we know it. The major signs are a little bit more considerable. Like, oh, okay, these are major, major signs, right? These things are happening. It's almost like once these things happen, it's, it's, it's as if like we can't go back from that point, okay? The way that we understand Juj and Juj, this tribe, 
is that they are from the last of the major signs. So when everyone tries to, oh, who are they? What are they? What do they look like? How many are they? You know, everyone has theories about Jujim and Juj, right? But the reality is, when the Prophet ﷺ, when he left things vague, there is a reason as to why it was left that way. There's a reason. The Prophet ﷺ didn't say, pray. And we're like, how? He's like, figure it out. Everything was laid out with regards to the things that we need to in order to succeed. But when it came to, you know, the, the night of power, Laylatul Qadr, right? Searching for the night of power, it's in the last 10 nights. Which one? Right? And then it was made not to be known to us. For reasons, right? It was left open-ended for a reason. Juj and Ma'juj are, are open-ended for a reason. So these are people, these are a tribe, a group that existed from the time of Dhul-Qarnayn, okay, ancient times, and we're going to find out what happened. But all you have to know is that they are considered, from the major signs of the Day of Judgment, their re-emergence, spoiler alert, their re-emergence, and they are evil. They are not good. They are evil, okay? So these people say, Ya Dhul-Qarnayn, inna ya'juj wa ma'juja mufsiduna fil ard, fahal naj'al laka kharjan ala an taj'al baynana wa baynahum sadda. Okay, they said, is it possible? Thank God you're here. There's this group, Juj, and they're causing corruption, Mufsiduna fil like they are taking the earth and they're corrupting it, they're spoiling it, they're destroying the earth. They said, can we pay you something? Can we give you something? And will you then, after we pay you something, will you then provide a wall and taj'al baynana wa baynahum? Can you give us a barrier to protect us from these people? Like we have been sleepless at night, unable to close our eyes, because we are so afraid of these evil creatures, these evil people spreading corruption throughout the land. Dhul-Qarnayn, can you protect us? Can you build a, a wall around us that protects us from these people? Okay? And they said, what first? We will? We'll pay you. Okay? Are we all here with, so far what's going on with the plot? Okay. It's interesting because the tafsir says something very interesting. All the reasons why we thought about why people can't talk to each other, they're all valid. Like, don't speak the same language, maybe there's a cultural difference, maybe there's this, maybe there's that. But the tafsir said that here, Allah tells us why they could not listen. Why could they not understand Him? Because they were so preoccupied with fear of Yajuj Ma'juj that what Dhul told came to tell them about God and worshiping Allah and believing in God alone, it wasn't registering with them. They were so preoccupied by their own safety that they could not listen to the message that he brought. Interesting, huh? And the Prophet ﷺ, he also verified this. He taught us in the hadith, The Prophet ﷺ said that kufr, disbelief, can be brought about, we know by many things, he said specifically, one of the things that can act as a, an unfortunate pathway to disbelief in God is when a person is subjected to such poverty over such a long period of time that they completely lose hope in the divine. Like, they're, they're just like, I have no hope. I've been out, I've been on the streets, I've been here, I've been, I can't pay my... It's been years since I've been able to stay in an apartment, pay my rent, feed my family. Where is God? Right? The Prophet told us this. Now, in those situations, what, what people do when they, in, when they engage or they meet with someone, they interact with someone, 
who has a big trauma, a big difficulty that occurred to them, is they do what? When we try to help solve their problem from a religious standpoint, what do we say? Make dua. Brother, make dua. Right? No offense. We believe dua is a part of the solution. But you're talking about a person that doesn't know what they're going to put in their kid's mouth that night. And you say what? Make dua? Make dua. Ma'asalama. Okay, we'll see you later, right? As you go to eat. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or someone's going through a divorce. And it's really nasty. And you say, don't worry. Right? There's so many fish in the sea. You'll be fine. It's interesting, subhanAllah, because these statements, make dua, have hope, trust in Allah, be patient, they're not false. But in, they are out of sequence. They're out of order. The Prophet ﷺ would never tell someone who was going through a traumatic moment at that moment, like, hey, get it together. He would allow them to express themselves. He would give them time. Even... If there's two people that are fighting, and we know that like people should not fight, Muslims should be friends, okay? But he said what? If you need time, لا يحل لمؤمن أن يهجر أخاه فوق ثلاثة أيام. Every believer is given three days to figure stuff out internally, and they can completely, if they need to, pull themselves away. The verb used is يهجر to make hijra. You can actually migrate, <laughs> not literally. You can leave someone. You can, you can get away. You can completely, what's the word? Seclude yourself from somebody for three days. Meaning, even if they say salam, you don't have to respond. I'm not trying to encourage this behavior. <laughs> I'm just saying. Now, after three days, you have to respond. But isn't it interesting that the Prophet didn't just say, Astaghfirullah, your brothers, right? Or your sisters. They said salam. How could you not respond? Even the angels respond when you respond. What are you doing? Yada yada, right? There's no religious guilting, no religious shaming, no spiritual bypassing. None of that. So here, Allah is telling us that these people who were sent a righteous, powerful, wealthy king, and he was coming to them, and he was just, and he was fair, and he was compassionate, and he was coming to teach them, he tried to talk to them, and what happened? They weren't speaking at each other. Two different layers. Like they couldn't, they couldn't understand each other. Right? And then they call out to him. Now he could easily be like, I, 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 don't need to, like, I don't need this. You're asking me to work? You're offering to pay who? Me? I have everything. So what does he respond with? He says, He says, What my Lord has given is far better than what you can offer. Like, I don't, like guys, I don't need you to pay me to help you. Right? I don't need you to pay me to help you. Not everything has a price tag on it. Not everything has a dollar amount. But what does he say? But what I need is for you to help me so that we can establish a barrier between you and them. Okay? So they're asking Dhul Qarnayn for help and what does he say back? They're like, hey, help. And he says what? Help. Right? Help me to help you. You guys ever heard that? Help me to help you. That's what he's telling them. So these people are experiencing a problem. You can help us. And you know what he says? He says, you have to help me if you want me to help you. Which means what? Every single person, no matter what situation they're in. Remember, Allah just told us that they are not in a place to spiritually, spiritually listen to the message of Islam at that moment. 
But Allah is now also telling us that even if you are in a situation that's causing you a lot of difficulty, you can't just lay down and give up. You can't just say, I'm not cut out for this. I can't do anything. You have to do whatever it is that you can. So Dhul says, I have the ability to help you, but more important than me just helping you is you have to be involved in this effort. There's a couple of reasons why. Why do you guys think it's important that Dhul is telling them this? You have to help. Why? From your understanding. Yeah. Beautiful, excellent. Allah Ta'ala says in Hadith Qudsi that when my servant takes one step towards me, I come running towards them. When they come walking towards me, I come running. When they come a hand span, I go an arm's length, right? So Allah is telling us that He's always going to reciprocate, but we have to at least do what? Something. We have to do something, right? Many people are demanding miracles, but we're not doing anything. Like we're asking Allah, oh Allah, do this for me. But we're not doing the first step, which Allah said is like the switch for the miracle that we're praying for. Right? Like there is some means that accomplish this miracle that we're asking for. Very good. What else? Why is it important that he's saying help me? It's like tying your camel. It's like putting in the effort. Sorry, who's, who's, who's talking? Oh yeah, it's like tying your camel. Very good. Putting your effort. You have to actually apply something. Okay, what else? Yeah. Yeah, if you put in your effort, you're obviously going to be more involved. They're going to listen. They're going to be more engaged. If you put in effort, then you're going to feel more ownership, right? You ever, you know, if you, if you bought something with your own money as a kid versus if something was given to you, which one was going to be taken care of better? The thing that you bought for yourself. The thing that you bought for yourself, you're going to take care of it as much because you had what they call sweat equity. Like you put your time, your money, your effort into that versus... If Ami and Abu just show up with new Air Force Ones, you're like, oh, thanks, right? And then you wear it to go play soccer, right? You animal, right? No ruins like that, but I think. Then the reality is you're not going to have that amount of reverence towards the effort, right? There's a certain amount. And this is a reality. This is a psychological way that Allah Ta'ala has built us. That if you put an effort, then it will happen. Now, what's the spiritual impact of that is think about this. Many of us want a relationship with Allah, but we're not willing to put in the effort to get it. So we don't value it when it's there. Does that make sense? Think about the person. Two people go to Umrah. May Allah Ta'ala invite us to his house. Two people go to Umrah. They go to Mecca, they go to Medina. Okay? One person, person A, he doesn't really do any preparation, doesn't get himself ready, doesn't start trying to pray five times a day, doesn't do any of that. The other person actually does prepare themselves. Starts to pray, starts to read a little bit, starts to listen to the sirah. Starts to connect themselves. Who do you think is going to have a more fruitful, a more meaningful, substantive experience when they get there? The one who put in the work. The one who put in the work. So we want to have trust in Allah, but we're not putting in work to get that trust. We want to have patience in bad times, but we're not putting in that work to get those, that patience in bad times. So the Kharnain is saying, I'm here, I can help you, but you also have to help. So that you understand what's there. Okay? What else? Why else do you think it's important for them to help? Yeah? Very good. Give a man a fish, you can feed him for a day. If you teach him the skill, and that's actually going to happen next, then you can feed this person for life. Alright, is this a Bengali joke? No. 
Mangali fish. Never mind. Okay. So, all right. <laughs> Sorry. Some of you guys, some of you didn't. That's okay. I'm married to Mangali, so I'm allowed to make that joke. So, I also love fish. So, Musa does this thing, it's really funny. So he goes to Islamic school, so he's learning like Arabic words, and he'll just slip in like an Arabic word to see if I know it. So he's like, Baba, I caught the ball with my yed. And he looks at me, he's like, like a challenge. And I'm like, what? And he's like, my yed, you don't know what that means? I thought you taught this stuff. And I'm like, your hand? He's like, yeah, good one. And then the other day for fish, he was like, I want samak. And I was like, you want a fish, like for dinner? And he goes, no, I want like a pet fish. I was like, okay. I, like, I don't know if we call it. Anyways, okay, so he reminded me of that, right? So he, he'll test me, right? He's like, are you seriously a teacher? He doesn't believe that I do this, okay? So though Karnain, he told them, I can help you, but you have to help, okay? We have to really adopt this philosophy internally. Now, at the same time, he finishes up this entire passage very beautifully. But we'll get there when we get there, okay? So the first step is you have to do something. Then he continues, and he says, Atuni Zubur al-Hadid. Give me the blocks of iron. The tafsir says, why would the Karnain just immediately say this? He didn't tell them where to go to get it. He didn't say, hey, you know, go 100 kilometers this way, take a left at the mountain, do that, and you'll find iron. He said, give me the blocks of iron. You know what the tafsir says? This is like maddeningly frustrating. He says the resources were literally under them. Like they had everything. They had everything. Give me the iron. He's like, you want to build a wall? Give me that iron. You see the iron you're sitting on? He's like, oh, this? My metal chair? It's like, no, that's iron, right? So these people were sitting on the resources that they needed, but they weren't able to figure out how to build what they needed with the resources that were provided to them until the Karnain came and gave them that assistance. He says, then when they filled up the gap between the two mountains, he said to them, blow, because they were uh, uh, fanning it with heat. When it became red hot, then... Allah Ta'ala tells us that he told them, bring me the molten copper to pour over it. So basically, ayah number 96 is a method in how to build a wall. They lined up these blocks of iron, they heated up this copper, they melted it, and then they poured this copper over the blocks of iron, and they created an incredibly strong reinforced wall. But they had all the resources, but it wasn't until Bukharnain came, right? So he's like the project manager before project managers, right? He came and he gave them clear direction on how to do this. What's the lesson here? Remember, no verse, guys, remember this. No verse comes in the Quran except that there's lessons in it. You read that verse and you're like, okay, sounds like an instruction manual. Bring the iron, fill up the gap, blow on it, get the copper hot and pour it over. Okay, call us. There's a lesson there. What is it? There's many lessons. Yeah. Go ahead, Amin. You have the resources to bring you closer to Allah, but you need guidance on how to get it, how to do get it done. Beautiful. You have what you need. In, 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 in whatever scenario, Allah has given you the resources to get what you need. He has. The difference is not in the availability of the resource. The difference is in the perspective of where the resource is. Bukharnin shows up and he goes, you have everything you need. They're begging him and saying, we don't have anything. Can you give us some help? And he's like, you guys are literally three steps away from having exactly what you need. SubhanAllah. And remember, they offer him money. He easily could have pocketed some cash and been like, that was the easiest job in the world. I just told this guy three steps and I just made, you know, a stack. But instead of that, he doesn't take the money and he says, this is what you need to do. You have your resources. What else? What else? What other lesson do we take from that? Anybody? Yeah. Fear can allow you 
Very good. SubhanAllah. Excellent. They were in such a frantic state that they weren't able to put two and two together and figure it out. They were so scared of Jews that they didn't think, hey, we have iron, we have copper, we can figure this out. It's important to surround yourself with people that can ground you, that can give you the stability that you need. Not just fear, by the way, but in every scenario. Even love, right? The Prophet said, he says, he said that, that your love of something can cause you to lose your sight and to lose your hearing. Your love of something can cause you to lose your sight and lose your hearing. You guys remember like movies when they see their, like, their crush and like everything just focuses in, they can't see anybody else, right? Okay? If that's happening to you, you might be fainting, right? You might be having a serious medical issue, so don't think that that's like, love happening, okay? It's not how love works. But you know that when this stuff happens, when you have a deep, deep attachment to something, Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. Like when you're watching the Cowboys about to lose again in the fourth quarter, and it's a very close game, like there can be a fire alarm going off upstairs and all of you Dallas Cowboys fans wouldn't even hear it because you're a glutton for punishment, right? You want to see them lose again, right? This is why you guys have to make Hidra and support the Bears and Shalom, okay? All right, so that's, that's the next one. So your fear, your... The, the difficulty that you're in, it doesn't mean that you are wrong. But what it means is that you need to surround yourself with people that can help anchor you. No one here can help themselves in every moment in their life. No one. The Prophet Allah told him, listen to this, if, is there anyone who could claim that they didn't need to get help or assistance in the world more than the Prophet He's receiving revelation from Allah. He doesn't need to ask anybody for anything. But Allah told him, Allah told him, make shura. Make shura. Go and ask people, now listen to this, are they as religious as him, the people around him? No. Are they smarter than him? No. Are they more religious than him? Are they more knowledgeable of the religion than him? Is their character as good as him? Now I'm not dogging the Sahaba. Of course not. What I'm saying is, in every category, who's better? He's better. But Allah told him, go ask them. Go and ask them. And Imam Zarnuji, when he talks about this, he says, He was more intelligent than that. Just because you think that you have intelligence, and you're sitting with someone, and you're like, what do they know? What do they know? No. A wise person asks for advice from anybody that they think. Doesn't matter who, how old, what scenario, whatever. If you think someone has good perception, they can give you good help, good nasiha, ask. Ask someone to give you some advice. My teachers, man, one of my teachers used to do the most awkward thing every month. We'd sit and he would say, I've got man, advise me. <laughs> and he's like a sheikh, he's like an old sheikh, man. And I'm like, I can't do this, sheikh. And he's like, advise me. And I said, I can't. You're my teacher. What am I supposed to say? And he's like, anyone can give anybody advice. Anybody. Right? So you should be and I should be open to this. Receiving advice from anybody and surround yourself with people who will give you advice. If you're somebody that's not, no one around you is giving you advice, it could be that you have people that aren't good advice givers or it could be that you demonstrate that you don't take it. And if you demonstrate that you don't take advice, guess what? 
people stop talking. And then you say, hey, why didn't you help me, man? I was in that really tough time. And they're like, well, the last four times you were going down a bad path and I tried to help you, you just told me to shut up and you ghosted me. You stopped texting me. You left your read receipts on to make a point. And you didn't respond. And then you're like, oh. And they're like, yeah, that's why. I, I mean, like, I tried before. You didn't respond well, so I stopped. So if people don't give advice to us, it could be maybe that they're not that tight, but it also could be that you've shown that you don't want that advice from them. May Allah Ta'ala help us. Okay? And then Allah Ta'ala says that it was not possible uh, that these enemies, فَمَا أَسْتَعُوا أَنْ يَظْهَرُهُ وَمَا أَسْتَعُوا لَهُ نَقْبَةً that they were not able to climb it, nor were they able to tunnel through. This wall was perfect. It was absolutely foolproof. But what's the next verse? Lil Karnain, and that moment, these people are calling upon him. They ask him to help. He does exactly what they need. He builds the strongest wall ever in the history of walls. That sounds like Donald Trump. <laughs> Everyone's talking about it. Uh, he builds the strongest wall. That's exactly what they needed. They were in a position of need, he fulfilled their need. What does a person do when they did a good job? Everyone's like, hey, good job. You're like, ah, oh, it was nothing, but keep going. <laughs> but it was nothing, but keep going, right? What does he do? The first thing he says, The fact that we were able to do this is nothing but mercy from Allah. It's nothing. Everything that you accomplish is from the mercy of Allah. You were part of it, no doubt. But Allah's mercy is so present in your life that your accomplishment simply would not be possible if that mercy were not there. So it would be foolish, it would be illogical to take complete or even the majority of credit in something when you know that your ability was only given to you by Allah the Most Merciful. So the Qarnayn says here, This is from the mercy of Allah. But then listen to this. He builds this wall. He teaches them. He gives them the skill. He completes their task. But then what does he say? He says, فَإِذَا جَاءَ وَعْدُ رَبِّي جَعَلَهُ دَكَّنْ وَكَانَ وَعْدُ رَبِّي حَقَّا SubhanAllah. He says, but let me tell you something. This wall that cannot be climbed or dug through, this wall that you were begging me for, that we just completed, it's going to protect you. When Allah wants it to turn to dust, it will turn to dust and nobody can stop it, the promise of my Lord is true. SubhanAllah. You know, sometimes we are so convinced that we are the providers of our blessings. Like we think that, you know what I mean? Like you think that, okay, I have this, I will be fine. I did this, I will be fine. I did this degree, this certification, this master's, this PhD, this doctor, whatever. I, I will be fine, right? Why? Because of this. And then there are times where Allah tests us. And one of the reasons why those tests exist, according to Izzid ibn Abdul Salam, the scholar who wrote a book on this, he said, one of the reasons is so that Allah will redirect your reliance from the thing to the creator of the thing. He'll redirect it. So you think that something you have is giving you honor, and then Allah takes that thing away. And he says, where's your honor now? Your honor was always because of your relationship with Allah, not because of what you drove or what you, where you live or what zip code you have. None of that. So look our name, think about this, he's a hero. He's literally saved these people. They're looking at him just like big eyes, like stars in their eyes. This guy is the, a legend. And the first thing he tells them is, 
This is not because of me. Don't think for a second this is because of me or because of you. And I want you to realize, you think this wall is going to protect you? No. Allah will protect you and this wall is the way he's protecting you. But as soon as he wants and this wall will disappear, the wall will disappear. And Allah's, Allah's promise is true, which means what? Don't ever delude yourself into depending on the means, always depend on the one. If I think that I'm going to be healthy because I exercise, because I eat right, because I spend my paycheck at Whole Foods, in your stomach. And it annihilates your GI tract. You move in, right? You sublease your bathroom, like you move in. You're laughing because we've been there, all of us, right? And you're like, man, I can deadlift this much, man, I eat this much, man, I... I breathe kale. I do this, right? <laughs> I use that dumb dropper on my skincare routine every day. You know? And then vacuum my bed sheets. Man, stop this crap, guys. Enough. Okay? It's enough. He's got ironing his curtains. What's going on, man? Subhanallah, man. Ajib. We're going to be watching this on the day of and we're like, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I put my phone out drove away, and then walked back and got my phone. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then may Allah bless you, you're a pious person. Okay? All of this, all of this, we think will take care of us. Your education, your ability to work and provide and pay your mortgage and pay your rent and blah, 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 blah. You get one stomach virus and Allah tells you, here's 72 hours without me. 72 hours where you think that you can take care of yourself, go ahead. And you can't even drink water except that it comes right back out. Some people get it so bad, they have to have an IV. Take me to the hospital, I'm dehydrated. SubhanAllah, man. We can't even see that thing, just because the kebab was out for five minutes too long. Okay? Allah puts these situations in us to humble us. And Lil Qarnain here is saying that. Don't think this wall is going to save you. This wall is here as a gift from Allah. But the minute it's gone, it's Allah's decision and His promise is true. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us reliance on Him alone. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us the ability to trust in Him and to rely upon Him and to depend on Him. And not the things that He created, but the fact that He is the Creator. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us all the lessons from this verse. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to be people of Qur'an that are reminded of, of Allah, that benefit from these reminders, and that these lessons are not just spoken, but they are lived. Amin ya Rabbil Alameen. Anyone have any questions? We're going to wrap up. This is a good time to pause in the passage. So, yeah. Is he considered a Nabi? is he considered a prophet? It's a good question. There's debate about it. Sure, yeah. So he usually gives uh, specific verses and language to denote someone's a messenger. Yeah. Yes? Is this Yajuj Majuj the same as the Dajjal ones? Or are these different? Is Yajuj Majuj the same as Dajjal? So there are two different creatures. Oh, Yajuj Majuj is like a class of creature. Yeah. But I mean like Dajjal's army. Yes, they are, yes. So Yajuj, again, the description of Yajuj Majuj are, uh, you know, they're, they're pretty like scant in terms of the amount and their right? again this is the normative understanding how where what realm this is all from the, the unseen so it's just best not to try to definitively nail down anything just know that they exist it is what it is right it, again the way to understand it is that the day of judgment's a day where like weird things are happening right the sun rises from a completely different <laughs> you know time every day feels like 500 years like there's so many different things that are just not what we would consider to be normative physics, and yet Jujima Juju are from that category. Yeah.
Who knows? Yes. No, that's a good question. Do all signs of the Day of Judgment have a negative connotation? No. There's one sign that the Ummah will be so wealthy that no one will be able to take Zakat. There won't be anyone who qualifies. And in case you're like, yeah, I hope I lived during that time. Uh, it already happened during the time of Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. There was a year when no one qualified for Zakat. And also, there were, during his reign, strawberries were the size of watermelons, non-GMO. Yeah. They say because he had so much baraka in his reign that he was just... Strawberry says watermelons. Can you imagine? Amazing. What a smoothie. <laughs> Anyone else? Yeah? Anyone else? Last question? Okay. So with that, we've concluded the message of the passage of the Qur'anate. We're going to finish Surah Al-Kahat, inshallah, next week. And as is customary when you finish a book or a text or a surah, there is always, uh, the scholars would always present like sweets. So inshallah, next week we're going to have some sweets for everybody uh, just to be able to celebrate the fact that we've accomplished the end of tafsir, inshallah. And then after this, we're going to be starting our new uh, reading uh, the following Monday. So it'll be the uh, middle of October, inshallah. We'll announce what that book is going to be. Jazakumullah khairan, subhanakallah, wa bihamdik, ashadu wa la ilaha illa antuna, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, wa alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.